Welcome to Secrets True Crime. I am your host, Amber Sitton. What is done in darkness will eventually come to light. That is the purpose of this podcast, to shine light on the story of Eric Cates, his beloved dog Gypsy, and the town of Empire, Alabama. Listener discretion is advised. The subject matter may involve violence, sexual content, murder, and adult themes. It is not suitable for younger listeners. I know many of you are anxiously awaiting news on the murder of Eric Cates and his beloved dog, Gypsy. I don't have the news we are all waiting for yet, but I believe for the first time since Eric's murder, we now have hardworking, honest, and competent investigators dedicating a great deal of time to this case. As soon as we have more information that can be shared, we will update you. In the meantime, we'd like to take advantage of this break we are on and use this time to shine some light on some other cases. This is the first of two or three bonus episodes about the disappearance and death of Hayden Mayberry. 26-year-old Hayden was last seen at the manufactured home he was staying at on Pine Drive in the Boldo community of Walker County, Alabama on November 19, 2019. The story told is Hayden was last seen walking out the back door of the home and into the woods. For those aware of the many missing people and suspicious deaths in Walker County, Alabama, this tale of someone walking into the woods to never be seen again or to later be found deceased is all too familiar. Ill-fated stories of people walking into the woods there have become notorious. Like most of the cases in Walker County, there are far more questions than answers about what happened to Hayden. Hayden had been in a relationship with a woman named Jensen. They had an infant child together, but they'd broken up, and at the time of his disappearance, they were both seeing other people. We've spoken with several of Hayden's family members, but his Aunt Dana spoke to us about Hayden for the podcast. Hayden was the first grandson out of the first four grandkids that were born within a two-year span. So he was the only boy that always wanted to play with the girls. You know, at times that didn't work out too well because, you know, he was your typical boy. He was rambunctious. He was high-strung. All he wanted to do was have their attention and play. And he loved them, and they loved him too, but, you know, you know how children are sometimes when they, they don't want the little boy playing with them. But Hayden, he was full of energy, a lot of energy. I remember a time we, we took them camping and uh, the lake, and we had a pretty good-sized campfire. And that kid ran around that campfire, it seemed like, for hours, just entertaining himself and, and playing. He was a character. And if Braden, if little Braden has any energy like his daddy, you know, Jensen's going to have have her work cut out for her. But uh, Peyton, he was he was a loving kid. Early on, we we just knew he was just going to be the ladies' man because 
any females he saw, women, pretty women. He made a beeline just to talk and flirt. When he learned how to wink, he'd wink at them, and they just, they ate that up, and, and he loved the attention. He even went through a phase where he would go up to a woman, nod his head back and say, how you doing? Because that time they loved to watch the TV show Friends. Yes, he got that from Joey off that show. He he was just your, you know, your typical kid. He was loving. He had a kind heart. I remember the first time I had uh, met Jensen. It was during the holidays at my parents' house. and I was back in one of the bedrooms wrapping some gifts, and he brought Jensen through and just showing her around. And I remember him looking at me, and he just, out of nowhere, he said, Isn't she beautiful? And I thought, you're just a little mushy romantic. You know, that was how he, that's how he was. He was a little Casanova. And he didn't meet a stranger. He would talk to anybody. He didn't care who you were, what, you know, walks of life you came from. He looked at everybody the same, and he was friendly. And, you know, he was loved. You could tell that, you know, at his memorial. The, the chapel was full. It was full. People there that, you know, he had met through the years and, and loved him. That was Hayden. Him and his cousins, they uh, started having children around the same time. And Jensen, he found out Jensen was pregnant with Brayden and uh, a couple of the girls, they were also pregnant. So he was really excited about being, being a father. You know, he loved Brayden when he was born. He was, he doted over him and he was excited. I mean, he would bring him around, bring him to mothers. He would go down to Jensen's and at his grandmother's in, in Oakland and, and watch him and, and visit. And, you know, like Jensen has said before, you know, he would call. He would make sure and call and, and check on that baby, you know, daily. And he was excited about being a, you know, a new father. And it saddens me that he's no longer here to, to be with us and Brayden as he grows up. I spoke with Jensen, and she told me this about Hayden. He was funny, and he had a crazy personality. But he was so loving. He would give anybody the start off his back. And he was a good dad. Hayden also struggled with addiction issues, but according to many who knew him, things changed when Hayden became a father. He was fighting his addiction to stay clean and to be the father his son needed him to be. And he was seeking help to stay on track from a treatment center. I've been told by numerous people who were friends with Hayden that while he still smoked marijuana, he had otherwise given up using drugs. I asked Jensen how she thought Hayden was doing in his quest to stay clean. He was clean usually if me and him were together. But as soon as we broke up, he would relapse. But I thought the whole time we had been broke up the last time, he was clean because of Braden. But then I found out that he wasn't. But this, I found out that after he had already went missing. What was he using? I'm not sure exactly what he was using then, but I know his drug of choice was heroin. Before his disappearance, Hayden and Jensen had broken up and had both moved on to other relationships. However, Hayden remained a constant presence in his son's life. Hayden was in a relationship with a woman named Naomi Wilcutt. 
both Hayden and Naomi were living at the home on Pine Drive in the Boldo area with a woman named Rosa. Rosa, her husband, two adult children, Rosa's husband's brother, and quite a few other people all lived in this small home together. Hayden and Naomi had both worked at McDonald's where Rosa was the manager, and it is said that others who often stayed at Rosa's worked at McDonald's too. You will hear more about some of these people in the next episode, and many of these details noted in this episode will be important and expanded upon. On November 19th, the last day Hayden was seen alive, Naomi said that she drove Hayden to apartments where Jensen's grandmother lived. Jensen and their child lived there as well. I seen him on the 19th, and when he left my house, I didn't see him again after that. My understanding is is that y'all had kind of had words or had a fight that day, a disagreement about your son. Yes, we did. He wanted to take Braden with him, but I knew from the beginning there was something off about the girl he was dating. I had a bad feeling, and I wouldn't let him go, and we got into it. How upset was he? He was pretty mad at me. And did you exchange any text messages or anything with him after you saw him on the 19th? He called me after that, and was checking on writing, but that was the last that I heard from him. How did he seem in that call? He was still mad. The phone call wasn't really that long. He was just calling to check on Brayden, and then we got off the phone. We didn't go into great details in the interview about their fight, but there was a great deal of discussion about this fight online and social media. Basically, one day Jensen went to pick up Brayden from Rosa's home where Hayden was living with Naomi, and Jensen was not happy with the situation she found when she went there. Jensen was not comfortable with her infant being there again, and based on the information I've been given, my personal opinion is that I can't blame her. The confrontation between them was somewhat heated, with her telling Hayden that she wasn't going to allow him to take the baby there anymore. Hayden was also told he was not allowed to go to the grandmother's house where Jensen lived with the baby, but Jensen said that didn't mean he couldn't see Brayden. There were also screenshots of a Facebook post shared around in which Hayden, Jensen, and Jensen's mother had a heated argument about his lifestyle and him seeing his son. However, Jensen has adamantly stated multiple times online that she was willing to meet Hayden anytime so that he could spend time with his son. Jensen has been cooperative and helpful with us regarding the podcast about Hayden. We have reached out to many others whose names have been connected to Hayden in the time frame of his disappearance. So far, a couple of them have said they'd like to give on-the-record interviews for the podcast, and I hope that they follow through with that so that you can hear their stories directly from them. Others have pretty plainly expressed their desire to not be part of it. One of the ones who doesn't want to speak is Naomi Wilcutt. But Naomi made a tremendous amount of comments and statements on social media regarding the details of her involvement in this case. While you might not hear her voice, you are going to hear some of her story. Naomi stated that after Hayden and Jensen had the fight, Hayden was devastated. 
he felt like his son was being taken away from him. She said that while she loved Hayden, she knew Hayden was still in love with Jensen, and she was not willing to be the reason he lost his son. She claims she broke things off with Hayden that day. She said that Hayden told her his friend Tommy Welch was coming to pick him up later that night. Naomi said she didn't know where they planned to go. Here are Naomi's words regarding her whereabouts and movements the night Hayden disappeared. One quick disclaimer, though. The comments she made were not written using proper English structure and grammar. I'm not pointing this out to be demeaning. It's very common for people to text or post on social media in that manner, but it does cause some issues with me being able to read the messages verbatim and listeners being able to understand. So instead of reading these comments verbatim, I will be reading the messages using sentence structure and such. And then I will take screenshots of these comments that she made and I will post them to our Facebook account. Naomi commented, I left around seven, took my 12-year-old son to get something to eat and to the store. I came back, dropped him off, left, and went to a friend's house to pick him up. I gave him a ride, was back by 10 to take JW and Zach to work. Then Zach called before I got back to my friend's house and told me he got fired. I picked him back up, stopped by the store, then dropped him back off and went back to my friend's house until 3.30 that morning. Then I went back to the trailer, changed, and picked up another friend from work by 4.30 that morning. She mentions Zach and JW. She is speaking of Zach Jervis and J.W. Stone. Keep these names in mind because they will probably come up again later. Naomi also commented, Rosa's husband, his brother, and their two sons was there all night. Now, J.W. was there till 10 and Zach. I picked both them up around 10 o'clock for work. Zach got fired that night after I dropped him off. So I probably dropped him back around maybe no later than 12. And no, I don't know for sure. Tommy didn't. I was messaging Tommy the few days after sending messages to Hayden by Tommy. Tommy never said I didn't pick him up or anything like that. He said okay until the day the report was made. I have not talked to or seen Tommy. I believe it was two days after the report was made that I went and found him to ask questions. And as far as the pick, I'm not sure. I have not seen the picture. The police took it. Yes, he sent me a picture, but I thought he was sitting at the edge of the woods waiting on Tommy smoking. Someone online asked her a question about the comment I just read you. She offers further information in the second message I read. Naomi said that Hayden was still home when she left at 7. It has been widely reported that others present at the home watched Hayden walk out the back door of the home and into the woods, and he is not known to be seen again. Naomi has stated that her son, Rosa's husband, and one of Rosa's sons witnessed Hayden walk out the door. She has also said that Hayden sent her a photo that night of the woods and indicated that he was in the woods. Someone who has seen the photo says the photo is just of the ground, and it doesn't include Hayden in the photo. Naomi has stated that when she received the text, Hayden was just outside smoking pot and waiting for Tommy Welch to pick him up. 
many of Hayden's friends and family have had a lot to say about the story that Hayden walked into the woods. Hayden was not known to be an outdoorsy type. He was actually quite the opposite and is reported to have made many comments to friends about it. Hayden liked shoes and he didn't want to get his shoes dirty. There are stories of him putting plastic grocery bags over his shoes if it was raining in an effort to keep them clean. Regardless, if the story makes sense or not, that is a story that was told. I asked Jensen how she became aware that Hayden was missing. Have you heard of Tommy Welch? Yes. Okay, so Naomi told him to call me five days after Hayden had went missing. And he told me, or asked me really, if I'd seen him and all this stuff. And I told him no. And then Naomi called. But I hadn't heard from him since the 19th. And she said that that's the last time she'd seen him too. How did she seem when you talked to her? Too calm. It was weird to me that you'd wait five days to tell anybody that your boyfriend's missing. Yeah. Was she with Tommy when he called you? Not that I know of. Okay, so she had him call, and then after that, she called you. Yeah. Are you the one that filed the missing persons report? Yes, ma'am. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Usual Wines. If you are like me, you might occasionally enjoy a good glass of wine. I just found a great new brand of wine called Usual Wines. Each bottle is 6.3 ounces, a heavy pour, or about a glass and a half of wine. No more pouring wine down the sink when you don't want to finish the bottle. Usual is always fresh. No more flat bubbly or stale rosé. Usual wines are made from world-class AVAs in California like Napa, Sonoma, and Santa Barbara, and are made with minimal intervention, zero sugar, and zero additives. The wines are low-carb and have zero grams of sugar. I ordered a combo pack online and received it just five days later. The first thing I noticed is how pretty the bottles are. I couldn't wait to try. I love them all, but my favorite is the Red Blend. Go check out their website at usualwines.com and use my discount code, SECRETS, for $8 off your first order and try your first glass on us. Okay, back to the episode. I also asked Dana how she and other family members became aware that Hayden was missing. I had um, walked into work on a Monday morning, and uh, my ex-sister-in-law that works with me greeted me and said, have you talked to Hayden? And I said, no. She said, have you talked to your mother? I said, well, no, not this morning. I said, what's going on? And she said, well, Jensen has put some stuff on Facebook that she's not heard from Hayden, and it's been since this past week. And I said, well, I don't know. I said, what, what has she said? She said, well, just that, you know, he has not called, and that's out of the ordinary, that he's not called, and she's been trying to call him, and he don't answer. And she's gotten in touch with uh, Naomi, and she's told her that she, you know, hadn't seen him. And, you know, it was just unusual. And I said, well, you know, I will call Mother. Let me call Mother. So I immediately 
called my mother and uh, said, Mother, have you have you talked to Hayden? She said, No. I said, Well, what about Jensen? And she said, Well, I, she said, I'm going to tell you that uh, she came over here weekend on her mother and asking if I had seen him and that she has not heard from him and that it was unlikely, you know, it's very unlikely that he, he doesn't, he hasn't called to check on it, right? And she says, I've tried calling his phone and he don't answer. And let me go back because Misty also told me, she said, well, Jensen's going down to the police station this morning to file a report. So I told mother that and then immediately in her voice, everything changed because she was like, oh, no, she said, let me, let me call her and find out what's going on. So then at, uh, a little while later, I, I guess she had talked with Jensen, got back with me, and she said, yes, she's got to file the police report. And then sometime that day, I think, Carl Carpenter came and, and spoke with mother and told her he had been out to Rose's home where Hayden had been staying and spoke with them. And that was about it from there, you know, I think Jensen had put out some flyers that just, you know, immediately, you know, started kind of just, when you're in that situation, you're, you feel helpless. You don't know what to do next when you get in touch with people that, that have contact with him and they don't know, and he's not answering his phone. It was from there on, you know, you was, you was just helpless. That following Monday, I went and talked with Carpenter and uh, we had gone over some things and some information and, he had said they were going to set up a search party for the coming week. Uh, so he was getting that in order. You know, there wasn't much he could really tell me at the time because it's under an investigation. But, you know, after meeting and talking with him, you know, I, I left there and I had total faith that they would find Hayden. The last that Jensen had seen Hayden was on the 19th of November. And uh, from what I understand, they had had, a, had an argument. And then after that, I don't think she had spoke with him. And then it was that following Monday, she had uh, gone down to the police station. And that's when we were finding out everything and filed the report. And within that week, you know, my brother even had gone over to Rosa's home and spoke, I think, with Rosa's husband. And uh, Naomi was there. And there was a little bit of confrontation at first between them. She didn't know who he was. And, you know, that was understandable. And I think he was wanting some of Hayden's belongings. And I think at the time she, she wasn't willing to hand over anything. She said that she had had his glasses, but if I'm not mistaken, his wallet. But she told him that, you know, she would get them to the family. But she never did. And then the following Monday after that, that's when I had gone and spoke with Carpenter. And that's when the investigation was, you know, well underway. And then that's, you know, it went from there. Dana is speaking of investigator Carl Carpenter with the Walker County Sheriff's Office. He was the investigator assigned to this case. I also asked Dana if Naomi ever reached out to anyone in their family. No. No, when my brother was there, mother had um, called his phone and all she could hear was a little bit of argument or voices. Uh, it's a bit of a tone, and it kind of scared her at first. And and then I think my brother put Naomi on the, you know, put Naomi on the Naomi got on the phone together, and uh, which she was cordial and said that she had Hayden's glasses, if I'm not mistaken, wallet that she would bring it to her. She would get, it, you know, get it, get it to her, get it. 
but she never did. We never heard from her again. On December 5th, 2019, the Walker County Sheriff's Office held a press conference. They stated that family filed the missing persons report on November 25th, 2019. Investigator Carl Carpenter said that they had conducted a search with cadaver dogs on December 4th. He also noted that they had items that Mr. Mayberry would have a hard time living without, such as his eyeglasses. Investigator Carpenter went on to say, that they were going to have a search on the following Saturday to look for Hayden in the area that he was last known to be seen in. And they invited anyone in the general public to come help them search. As I recently re-listened to this press conference, one comment investigator Carpenter said caught my attention. He said, we immediately sent an exigent request off to AT&T for his cellular phone records. The results of that request showed that his phone had not been used since the 19th and that, well, it had not been used in the previous 48 hours since the report was made. Based on the date given in the press conference of when the missing persons report was filed, November 25th, it sure sounds like he's saying that Hayden Mayberry's phone was last used four days after he was last reported to be seen walking into the woods. Requests for cell phone records must specify the time range, from some beginning point to an end point in time. For exigent requests, they usually range from the time the person was last seen to the time the request is being made. When the report is received from the cell provider, It will show the date, time, and other information from each time the phone is used, be it for a phone call or text message. Incoming calls that are not answered can be distinguished from actual active use in the call entry's originating and terminating number and relatively short elapsed time, usually less than 10 seconds. These reports can be lengthy depending on the usage and the time frame requested, and some usage generates multiple lines in the log. When usage stops, the log simply has no other entries. These reports don't typically include any information from periods when the phone was powered on, but not in use. There are different reports that must be requested for that information. It's typical to see several hours between log entries when a person is asleep or otherwise not using their phone. A report that spans 10 days from the last time someone was seen will show activity from any received calls, even when the phone's battery is depleted. But again, those are easily distinguished from actual phone usage so that it can quickly be determined when the last time someone actively used the device. On December 7th, almost 100 people showed up to help search. I've been told that they were taken to a wooded area on Pine Drive that was around Rosa's home where Hayden was living. Again, nothing of interest was found. On December 26, 2019, the Walker County Sheriff's Office made two posts to Facebook concerning the Hayden Mayberry missing persons case. The first post read, Please share. These three people are persons of interest in the case of Hayden Mayberry, who has been reported missing. We'd sure love to talk to them. Charity Dove Watts Tessner, 
Justin J.W. Wyatt Stone, Tommy Edwards Welch. If you happen to know them, please encourage them to call us or swing by and talk to us. And if you have any information about their location, you can tip us anonymously. The post included a photo of each of the three persons of interest that they were looking for. One thing to note, it was reported on social media that Justin J.W. Wyatt Stone responded very quickly to this post and went in to speak to investigators. The next post read, Here's a mugshot of Rosa Ann Rice. Rice was arrested today because she made the decision to provide false statements to investigators. Those statements interfered in the missing person investigation of Hayden Mayberry. Rice's residence is the last place Hayden was known to have been seen. Rice's false statements led to misdirection in the investigation and resulted in wasting valuable time and resources towards finding Hayden. Rice is currently in the Walker County Jail on a charge of obstruction of governmental operations. We're not playing games and won't tolerate being lied to. We strive to conduct efficient and thorough investigations, and any impediments to that will be dealt with accordingly. Yes, this is the same Rosa that Hayden Mayberry was living with at the time of his disappearance. As mentioned earlier, Tommy Welch was the man that Naomi claimed was supposed to have picked Hayden up the night he disappeared. J.W. is one of the men she claimed she gave rides to the night that Hayden went missing. Both of these men were friends or acquaintances of Hayden, and Charity Tessner was Tommy's girlfriend. Join us next time for the second bonus episode about Hayden Mayberry as we go a little deeper in detail into the persons of interest and other details of the case. If you have any information about the disappearance and death of Hayden Mayberry, please contact the Walker County Sheriff's Office, or you can email me at secretstruecrime at gmail.com or call our confidential tip line at 205-282-0740. Michael and I will ensure that all information gets to the right place right away. If you are left still wanting even more content, please check us out on Patreon. We have it filled with great information about Susan and Evan and Eric and Gypsy. This podcast is an independent podcast. That means that everything that goes into making this podcast is done and funded by me. All of the investigative tools and resources are provided by Echo 7 Foxtrot. The tragedies that we highlight and investigate have had a tremendous impact on the victims, loved ones, and friends. We don't burden them with additional expenses to cover their cases. We donate our time and talents because we want to help and hope to find the answers they need that are long overdue. For as little as $5 per month, you can receive exclusive access to members-only photos, videos, early access to episodes, and much, much more. By becoming a patron, you too are helping us help these families. Your support as a patron of Secrets True Crime Podcast helps us cover the expenses associated with producing a high-quality podcast, traveling to conduct field work and interviews, and obtaining the tools and equipment needed to conduct a thorough investigation. In short, 
Your support as a patron allows us to do more for these families. Become a patron of Secrets True Crime Podcast today, and let's solve these cases together. Patreon.com slash Secrets Crime. I'll also post the link on our Facebook page. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to follow or subscribe in your podcast player of choice and by giving us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. I'm active on social media and often share photos of the cases. Follow Secrets True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Secrets Crime. This episode was co-written by me and Michael Fleming. The audio production for this episode is by Kane Power at precisionpodcasting.com.